Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant. We are the Koch brothers, and we own you. <laughs> How you doing? Uh, good, sir. Top of the morning. I saw you. Gave me a tip of the hat and everything. Doff the old cap? Yep. Wow, we're suddenly like uh, Will Ferrell and Anchorman. Yeah. Man, what a You're movie. a London gentleman. <laughs> when in Rome. Uh, Chuck, I think before we go any further, we should um, plug our Kiva team. Big time, awesome Kiva team. That's kiva.org slash team slash stuff you should know. Nice, yeah. That's where you can find us. Yeah. Um, we founded that team in October 2009, right? Ought, Chuck had the yeah. brilliant idea. Ought nine. Yeah. Um, by October 2010, last October, we'd already hit the quarter of a million dollars in loans mark, right? That's right. Um, we are on track to hit half a million dollars in loans made to entrepreneurs in developing countries um, by May. We just hit 400000 our team did, and uh, we just wanted to let everybody know who's not a member, the team is open. Just go on and make a loan. Uh, 25 bucks is the lowest increment you can make, mm-hmm. but it's a loan. This is not just an outright donation because it's repaid. And you can reloan again, or you can take it and go on your merry way. Yeah. But it's uh, pretty cool. It's a good feeling. Everybody on the Kiva message board is a happy, chipper person. And I don't know that they are all the time, Uh but I think when they come to Kiva and hang out there for a little while, they they get happy. Feel better about yourself. I know I do. But yes, half half a million. It was nice. That's crazy. Who knew? So that's Kiva. Mm -hmm. Also, we're on Facebook, Stuff You Should Know, and Twitter, the Twitter, SYSK Podcast. Yes. All right. Now let's go to sleep. <laughs> All right. Let's get started, huh? Chuck. Yes. Did you know that um, Xerox, in I think the 21st century, maybe a little before that, um, took out ads in all sorts of publications. I saw it in uh, some sort of bar association um, magazine. I can't remember which one. Uh-huh. Um, saying, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Consumer or Mr. and Mrs. Lawyer, um, don't use the word Xerox. Use the word photocopy instead. Yeah. Xerox is it's like a Kleenex or Q-tip. Or aspirin was once a, a brand name. Right. Heroin once a brand name. Sure. Um, and the reason that Xerox is so up in arms about this is because if enough people start using your term generically, especially as a verb like Xeroxing or mm-hmm. Facebooking, you can lose your um, trademark status. It, it it can become a part of the vernacular, and it has happened to uh, to some other um, some other brands before. Heroin, uh, heroin, <laughs> yes. evidently. Uh, Allen wrench, um, like I said, aspirin, uh-huh. sure. escalator, um, the jungle gym, tarmac, yo yo, zipper. This All of these were once brand names. Shattering right? my everything, the illusion of everything I know. But isn't that weird? And then there's a there's a whole this is pretty cool. There's a whole list of stuff that's um become that's in that's in danger. It's in that realm where Xerox is right now, where it's very commonly used, but these people still manage to keep their, their trademark. Jaws of life? Yeah. Nilla wafers? Yeah. <laughs> Ping pong. Yeah. Is table tennis. 
Yeah, and um, let's see, uh, skivvies is underwear. Crockpot? Rolodex is technically <laughs> supposed to be called a rotary card file. We should just read each one of these with a question mark at the end after every one. For Micah? Mm-hmm. Go-kart? Mm-hmm. And my voice will go higher and higher until you can't even hear it anymore. Until <laughs> <laughs> only dogs start howling. Jacuzzi? Uh, this is one that I knew, too. Realtor is a real estate agent. That is not any real real estate agent. A realtor is a specific company's real estate agent. Who? Century 21? No, Realtor. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you have all of these, uh, all of these band, or all of these brands. Band-Aid, by the way, that's why I said that. Uh-huh. Um, originally their tune was, I am stuck on Band-Aids because mm-hmm. Band-Aid stuck on me. Yeah. They changed it to, I am stuck on Band-Aid brand because Band-Aid stuck on me. <laughs> stuck in the brand. Yep. Because the adhesive. They don't want to genericize <laughs> their own name. Yeah. There's one in this list that I didn't see that should be, and that, my friend, is Dumpster. Did you know Dumpster is a, a trademark name? I did. You, oh. Well, you told me like 10, ten minutes ago. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, uh, the Dumpster, the uh, big trash bin, usually on wheels, um, that can be lifted by a, a garbage truck. That whole process was Did you know garbage truck is actually a <laughs> well, brand name? The, the, this whole process was originally called the Dempster Dumpster, and it was invented in 1935 by George Dempster, who okay. was later the mayor of Knoxville, wow. Tennessee. And uh, apparently, up to that point, if you were making something or you had a construction job going on, you'd just park a dump truck nearby and everybody would throw their waste in or take piles and move it into the dump truck. It was somebody's job. Right. So Dempster was like, why don't we just create this receptacle that we can eventually you know, start by hoisting with a chain and just dump into the back of the dump truck. Or you know, we'll eventually create these hydraulic arms that can go into the, sl- the slots on the side of this right. this dumpster with a capital D and that can just lift itself up into the back. I bet you he said, I'll call it the dumpster. And his wife said, you're not calling that thing the dumpster. Yeah. I'm not being associated with trash. And he went, how about dumpster? And she's like, genius. Copyright it. Trademark it. Pour me a martini. So, so and, and I've always noticed, have you ever noticed, it seems like a lot of waste management um companies, especially locally owned ones, tend to have a person's first and last name, like Jackie Curtis Porta Potties. Oh really? Have you ever look around, you'll start to see it. It's really weird. Interesting. It's a lot of pride. Um but Chuck, the point is, the whole reason I say this is because um we had to fatten up Freegans. <laughs> now, anytime we use the word dumpster, uh-huh. we're using it with a capital D. I That's just right. want to say so we don't have to say T M every time. Dumpster is with a capital D every time we use it, and we're going to use it a lot because we are talking about freegans who are, in other words, dumpster divers. Yes, Josh, the word freegan is a combination of the word free and vegan. Doesn't necessarily mean they're vegan. I think they just no. thought it had a nice ring, probably. Well, I'm sure a lot of them were vegans when they started. Yeah, of course. There's um, a lot of overlap. Or maybe the guy was named Frogan who started the movement. That's not true. No, actually, his name is Keith McHenry. Oh, okay. Well, uh, freegans, Josh, are, I know you know this, are people who uh, are, it's also called post-consumerism or reclaimism. They are anti-consumerism. Yeah. They say we don't like this whole cycle of working and spending and buying and wasting and trashing and then buying it again. And we are going to try and reclaim and scavenge. We're going to try and uh, not buy things. We're going to try and not work. Maybe yeah. just volunteer. Yeah. We're not, we don't want to pay rent. We're going to squat when we can. Yeah. And uh, 
that's what we are. We're freegans. And a very big distinction between freegans and um, tramps, hobos, the homeless, is that freegans are doing this by choice. Yeah. Um, in, in if they don't actually have the money to buy food, they usually have the skills or education to um, to go out and make the money needed to buy food. This yeah. is all very much a lifestyle choice. Yeah. And it is also their very presence, their very existence is a thumb in the nose to the consumer economy that America has, which is in many ways a very wasteful one, right? Uh, uh, stat time, I guess. Yeah. Uh, in the United States of America, Josh, wastes 96 billion pounds of food each year. That's if you go by the stat that we waste a quarter of our food. It's between a quarter and a half I've seen. Jeez. A half. So it's entirely possible that 196 billion pounds of food are wasted every year. And we'll get into more specifics on what kind of food is being thrown out. But a lot of times it's not, oh, this big box of uh, completely rotted apples. It's Oh, these apples are pretty bruised. Yeah. Uh, this container is mashed. Yeah. So we're going to throw this stuff out. Exactly. Um, and, th- and I guess it's not just food. You know, f- food makes a lot of sense. We need food to live, work, play, freeganize, do whatever. Everybody needs food. But food is, has a lot of other uh, inputs wrapped up into it, right? Like I think we talked before about virtual water. Like the movement of crops from a place that has an abundance of water and can mm-hmm. grow these crops to a place that doesn't have it is technically the movement of water needed to grow those crops. Mm-hmm. You're just moving the crops. So there's a loss of water when that's thrown away. There's a loss of energy to produce and transport these things. Um, there's just all of these losses represented by just throwing away of food. And freegans are like, okay, two things. Number one, I'm going to eat that food for free because I'm not grossed out by jumping jumping in your dumpster. Right. And technically, it's perfectly fine food. And number two, I'm also going to do it to make you feel like a jerk for throwing it out. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, critics will fire right back at freegans. Oh, yeah, well, you're putting gas in your car and you're using electricity to cook that food. So you're on the grid. So you're a big hypocrite. Yeah. Freegans say, oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, every little bit counts, jerk. <laughs> Everybody's calling one another a jerk. Yeah, pointing fingers. It just goes downhill from there. Throwing food at each other. Well, I do take issue with with that a little bit. Like I, I do. It's true. Every little bit counts. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you do need electricity or heat or something to to live to freaking another day. Um, the thing that gets me is the idea that um, you should hitchhike um, or hop boxcars or whatever because. That in that sense, you're just freeloading on somebody else who's using that gas, and you're still using it too. You're just freeloading it. That's the one that I do have an issue with: is hitchhiking. Yeah, but I guess they like, would they would fire back. Hey, dude, that train is going from here to Topeka anyway. I can, I can totally understand the train, and technically, if somebody, if you only catch a ride with somebody in a distance or for a in the to the place that they're going anyway, well, isn't that what hitchhiking is? Yeah, I know. People, or people go like, out of their way here. Really? They, yeah. And plus, what are you giving the person in return? I can understand a train. It's company and, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, uh, Freegans, <laughs> Freegan, we should point out that Freegans, there's not a, a, an official organization. Uh, there is a website, Freegan, uh, F-R-E-E-G-A-N dot info. Yeah, which and is still that's very of, robust and up and running. Yeah, and that, that's kind of the, the central home where you can uh, learn how to forage, uh, urban forage, uh, they also forage in the woods. We'll 
talk about that in a minute. They have classes. Yeah. They talk about <laughs> scavenging sites like, hey, dude, the dumpster on uh, 42nd Street is loaded with baked goods this yeah. morning. Get over there. And I guess the other – and I want to say also I have nothing against freeganism. Um, it's just – freeloading drives me crazy. But for the most part, freegans don't – you know, hippie Rob. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Here he is again. It, but if it, for the most part, freegans um, – don't freeload and they're, they, they squat, but they squat in abandoned buildings. It's not being used anymore. They, they, um, eat free food, but it's food that other people threw out. Um, but the, I think the key here that really differentiates freegans from other people who eat out of dumpsters, um, aside from being able to buy food is that they actually do work or they do activities. They're just not doing it for money. Right. So for example, they volunteer. Yeah. Right? Because mm-hmm. how much money do you need if you eat out of a dumpster on purpose and you right. don't have any, you know, house payment or anything? So you have all this extra free time aside from foraging. And, um, most of them tend to volunteer or, um, work on, uh, activist causes. Like there's a freaking colony, um, in old growth forests around North America where basically they just built tree houses in these huge old trees and said, now nah, you can't cut them down. It's called a resistance community. Right. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. It's a cool thing to do with your time. So let's talk for a second about freegans. The, the key to their philosophy to me is they think that consumerism is bad because it destroys the environment through things like uh, deforestation, factory farming, uh, labor practices that stink. And it's all profit centered. So they think, uh, you know, that's implicit approval if you're Working, living, yeah, living in what most people consider a, a normal life. Working and buying. You're saying that all this, all this is okay with you because you're taking part in it. We don't want any part of it, so we're going to do our thing. Uh, we're going to not upgrade our iPhone. We probably won't even get an iPhone. We have an old flip phone, or maybe we don't even have a phone like that. No, we have cans on a string. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to update my fashion because this sweater is perfectly nice. Just because Bill Cosby might have worn it in 1987, right. it's still a great sweater. <laughs> Your mom liked it. And fashion is like, uh, how important is that really? Is their, you know, their philosophy. Um, we're going to repair things that we have. We're going to trade things. That's another things. thing too. That's, that's, a, that's another big point with volunteering and, and um, donating time and all that. Um, re- like if you can do something like repair somebody's camp stove, that's a valuable activity. Yeah. Right? And uh, in the end, Josh, what they end up with is a f- lifestyle that is – very much not financially dependent on things like uh, some stinky job that you have to do that you hate doing. Right. So that frees them up. They're like, hey, I need a couple hundred bucks a month to live. So I'm going to make that by doing some odd jobs, and then I'm going to volunteer and give back. Right. And also, you can you can get back when you give and you volunteer through things like uh, Time Banks. There's a website yeah. um, called timebank.org that I found on the Freegan website. And basically it's like, um, let's say that I know how to repair your bike and you know how to um, teach people how to play the guitar. Yeah. So I'll go, you know, repair your bike and and you teach me how to play the guitar. Um, And it's equitable. We don't remember in the bartering podcast that doesn't always happen. You sometimes have to engage in multilateral barters, all that kind of thing. Yeah, sure. Time banks get around that by saying like, okay, well, you went and volunteered at the animal shelter for a couple hours. You earned two time dollars that Mm -hmm. you can turn around and use for anything. That's awesome. You know, from a member of this time bank. So that's pretty cool too. Although again, it's pretty much impossible to get away from currency in one form or fashion, huh? Yeah. I mean, most freegans 
have a very limited uh, budget to endorse her lifestyle. They're they're probably not completely free, uh, although there there might be some that don't use money at all. But most of them like limited as much as possible. Yeah. So where is this going on, Josh? It's going on all over the world. But if I was a freegan, I would move to New York City. New York City. New York City. Yeah. Because New York City has got a lot of rich folks. That means there's going to be a lot of great trash. I know. Woody Allen's trash. Mwah. Yeah. And in Trash Day in New York, uh, imagine it's a field day. And no, the night before Trash Night, which is called um, the stinkiest night in New York. De Poupe. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. You know, the worst in New York is in the summertime, and it's hot, and it's rainy, and it's Trash Day. And the sidewalks are just full of garbage. I'll bet. Or in the middle of a garbage strike. I mean, hats off to whoever makes that city run. They're doing a good job, I think. Michael Bloomberg. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hats off to you then, sir. Uh, They forage in New York for things like uh, furniture, bags of clothes, electronics, like they'll camp out behind an office that's moving. Mm -hmm. Uh, All of what you just said is called urban foraging, right? Yes. It all falls under that umbrella, which is just like foraging, except... Rather than looking for um, roots to drink water from, you're getting office chairs for your squat. Or bottles of water. Yeah. Oh, that's another thing you want to. Yeah. But the, the point is is the the, um, the city is the forest with everything you need, and then some if you know where to look, and you can hold your nose. Is it legal? It depends. So, you know, every everyone who has ever wants a bad kid knows that the cops can go through your trash once it comes out to the curb. Uh, yeah. So there is actually a Supreme Court case um, from 1988, California v. Greenwood, wherein the the Supreme Court ruled that cops could once you put your trash out, it was public property. You expected someone else to come along and take it eventually, and that means that anybody who wants you can go through your trash, including cops looking for evidence that you're a drug dealer or freegans looking for bananas that still look pretty good. Yeah, freegans thought, hey. This should apply to us too, right? Well, that's what they use, and I, well, think, exactly. they, I think they use it to uh, great success. Although there are a lot of laws, um, like local, state, regional, municipal laws, that um, are, are anti-scavenging laws, basically because most people think of people who go dumpster diving as strictly um, hobos who you don't necessarily want around. Right. I'm not, not true saying that. There's no, plenty no. of cities out there, you know? Well, a lot of stores, uh, grocery stores and the like, will uh, lock up and cage up their dumpsters to discourage this kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, Some will put sharks in their dumpsters. Yeah, uh, land sharks, very dangerous if you come across one of those. Yeah. Uh, the, the deal is they think that they can get a lawsuit if someone dumpster dives on your property, get some food, and get sick by it. And um, that's not exactly true, though, is it? Didn't the USD have a, a ruling on that? Uh, no, the USDA encouraged this. It's called the um, Bill Emerson Good Samaritan Act, and I could just barely find who he was. He was a uh, um, a congressman who encouraged this act, died before it could get passed. When they passed it, they named it after him. But basically it said, if you are a good person and you are giving away food, mm-hmm. you're picking up food, you have any anything to do in the chain of taking food, rescuing it from the landfill to feed the poor, and you are not purposefully poisoning the poor um, or doing it for your own benefit and someone gets harmed, you can't be held liable for anything that happens. Yeah, we're going to protect you. Uh, but that that prevents that 
the the whole point was to encourage people like yeah. you, like you said, grocery stores and um, other groups to donate their leftover food rather than just let it go to waste. Yeah, and a lot of people, a lot of places do that. We're not saying everyone just trashes their food. A lot of restaurants donate their food. It's great. Yeah. Um, speaking of food, though, uh, I did mention bruised fruit. A lot of times they're just crushed packaging boxes. Sometimes uh, the sell-by date is cruised on by, and that yes. doesn't necessarily mean that it's rotten. No, the feds don't have any kind of mandatory dating law except for baby formula and baby food. Yeah. So the sell-by date is all voluntary. The use-by date is the one you want to stick to. Right. That, that's actually kind of rare. The sell-by date is just saying it's past its prime, but it's still got tons of life in it. Like, for example, if you can keep uh, eggs at 40 degrees Fahrenheit, which uh-huh. is you know standard for a refrigerator, um, they'll last for three to five weeks past the sell-by date. Did you know that? Yeah. And if you talk to my mom, you can drink milk for up to two months after the date. I don't know about <laughs> that one. The USDA does say, though, that... Factory sealed bacon, uh-huh. not fresh bacon, but stuff mm. that was in the in the factory that can last two weeks beyond its sell by date. And you mentioned New York being the center of freeganism. Oh yeah. Well, it, it stays fairly cold in New York throughout the year, right? Yeah, Which prevents bacteria from be, from growing because bacteria thrives between forty and one hundred and forty degrees Fahrenheit. So I imagine that you're safest in below forty degree weather. That's a good point. You know what I say? What the nose knows. Yeah. I don't even look at the dates. I give it a good sniff. That'll tell me all I need to know about whether it's going to go in my body. Yeah. I usually don't have time to sniff. I'm too hungry. You're just <laughs> wolfing it down. Yeah. <laughs> and then if I'm still standing afterward, so much the better. Uh, so that is urban foraging. Um, we should also point out, too, that sometimes stores uh, actually bag discarded food separately from the other trash. So it's not like you're picking an eclair off of a wad of toilet paper mm-hmm. <laughs> and saying, oh, this looks fine. Yeah. Uh, and then there's wild foraging. If you live near the forest and you're a Freegan, uh, you can collect plants. Uh, the, the website, freegan.info, will actually uh, tell you how to do this, tell you what's safe to eat. Um, sometimes they practice guerrilla gardening. They'll go find a little unused plot of land. We've talked about this. Have you noticed that like in the last couple podcasts we've recorded, like five other podcasts have been touched on? You know what this means. We're, we're growing a body of work. Well, our quest to explain the world, it's all coming together. Oh, it is, isn't it? Yeah, it's all tying. And at some point, we're going to say, uh, that's the last one. It'll be the time <laughs> when we use the word is and realize we did a podcast on is. <laughs> Depends on what your definition of is is. Josh. It's going to be a long podcast, but we'll do it. Uh, a lot of them barter, like we said. They call it free sharing, though. But what it is is bartering. They'll have a little uh, market, freaking marketplace that's set up like every uh, Saturday morning in this this part of New York. We'll all go meet and hey, I see you've got a a laptop that you fixed. I've always wanted a toaster oven. Let's make a deal. Throw in some uh, rotten eggs, and we're all good. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Just sell by, man. What about healthcare? That's a big one. And I looked all over the freaking uh, info site for this. Um, basically, they don't have healthcare licked yet. Um, they've got it close, though. There are healthcare collectives, which have been successful here. Or there, say if you get enough people, you can get it down to about a hundred bucks a year per person, and those go to fund free clinics. Uh, it relies heavily on volunteers. Mm-hmm. Um, but the state operates all sorts of free clinics as well. Right. 
Um, which I imagine if you just go in and say, I dumpster dive every day, they'll be like, we'll take care of you. Right. Um, so that one is not kind of licked because you can also make the, uh, you can make the case that, well, <laughs> that's freeloading again. And that completely undermines everything that freegans are about. Yeah. Freeloading. Cause it's not waste. Health, healthcare is not wasteful. The, um, Hours of a volunteering doctor or RN are, are not wasted. No, of course not. Uh, somebody would use those, right? Well, but a lot of times they're avoiding the, the health care because of uh, we don't want to support the pharmaceutical industry. Right, that's a big one. Yeah. We don't want to support these HMOs. Yeah. I have a feeling if it was the you know doctor down the street from with a white picket fence that gives you a Coke and tells you to everything will be better, mm-hmm. they might be a little more apt to support Something like the healthcare system, right? And they, they, I, I saw that stated somewhere that they were saying, like, if you just cut out the profits, right? That it, it's much cheaper than we think. Interesting. So, Josh, uh, this food recovery is um, what they're into as a freegan, but that's not a new thing because we have a long history in this country and other places, as far back as biblical days of gleaning, mm-hmm. and that's when you have a crop. You, especially nowadays with the big uh, mechanized systems. They'll leave behind a lot of waste yeah. that they're not going to go back and pick it all up. So they'll allow people, um, and they did this in biblical days after they've reaped the harvest, say, if you're poor, you can come into the field after us and pick up what we've left behind. Yes. It's called gleaning. Yeah. Not gleaming the cube. No, gleaning. Gleaning. Um, there's a group called the Society of St. Andrew. There's a lot of gleaning organizations, but um, one of the more famous ones is the Society of St. Andrew, um, where basically they just have a central hub and they say, volunteers, go pick up, you know, discarded food anywhere you can and bring it here and then we'll distribute it, right? Pretty yeah. simple model, but it works very well. They, and if you are a freegan, I would imagine you get some sort of halo for volunteering at the Society of St. Andrew. Yeah, you're the ultimate. Like the circle is complete. Yeah. You have a nice spot in freegan heaven if you yeah. do that. The whole idea, the anti-consumer culture idea that forms freeganism apparently finds its roots back in the 1640s in England, Chuck. There's a guy named Gerard Winstanley who uh, lost his shirt in business, moved to the countryside, and founded a colony that he called the Diggers. And the Diggers basically lived without money for as long as they could. Not that long, but um, Winstanley and the Diggers inspired the 60s counterculture Diggers who um, created their own kind of utopian colony or movement. And they inspired Keith McHenry, who is basically thought of as the father of freeganism, which popped up in the early 21st century, as far as I know. And now uh, he lives a lush, rich life, yeah. collecting on that word, freegan. And then food... <laughs> not true. <laughs> He's a fat cat. Now. Right. And then Food Not Bombs is another good, uh, good example of... Um, the freegan movement incarnate, right? Which is basically like they're a gleaner society. And then they go feed the homeless, feed the poor, feed freegans. Um, and one of my friends, uh, Justin, who's uh, living on tour for a while um, out in California, he, he told me they used to call him uh, soup, not food, instead of food, not bombs. <laughs> I was like, that's kind of jerky, don't you think? And he said, yes. <laughs> and it's a sister, a sister group to Food Not Bombs is Homes Not Jails, which is pretty self-explanatory. Oh, yeah. That's it. Uh, well, let me give you a quick example. If you're wondering and thinking, these people are really weird. 
Let me tell you about Daniel Zeta. Uh, he's an American who moved to Tasmania, which you might think is weird in and of itself. <laughs> Not necessarily. About a decade ago. He's 35, and he gradually became a freegan as he became a little more uh, conscious of the world around him, the environment, mm-hmm. wanting to help out the environment. Okay. He had a great job, government job, pretty good money from what I understand, uh, and he eventually quit the job. And now he is a freegan, uh, pretty much full time. He doesn't dumpster dive though. He works for uh, a food market. Basically, trades his work for food. Whatever they're going to discard, he'll take. He travels around the state. He builds envir- uh, environmentally friendly houses in return for lodging. And then in his off hours, he services the community. So he says he needs about two hundred bucks a month to live. And uh, for a while, he lived on a boat that had solar panels, and the whole bed of the boat was uh, a, a garden, a vegetable garden. And uh, he bought, you know, sandals off the Internet that were returned because the dude didn't like them. He got his computer from his friend who was throwing it out because the hard drive was busted. Hmm. Replaced the hard drive. He's been using it for, like, five years. And uh, it's just one story. He's not some weirdo. He's not a freeloader. He's not some crazed hippie hobo freak. He's just a guy that was like, you know what, I'm kind of tired of buying into this whole system. Yep. So this is my life now. Chumps. If you ever meet a freegan, assume they think you're a chump. Oh, they do. <laughs> Chuck, uh, if anybody wants to learn more about freegans, they can check out F-R-E-E-G-A-N in the handy search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And if this piqued your interest, you should check out our another podcast of ours on uh, How Much Money Do I Really Need to Live? Remember that one? Yeah, that was a good one. Uh, you can find both of those on How Stuff Works, right? Mm-hmm. And I said handy search bar. So that handy failed search bar, I, I failed in my attempt to find a replacement. It is handy, though. Uh, it's time for listener mail. Okay, Josh, I'm going to call this uh, Zebrafish Email. Of course. From Alex. Uh, dear Chuck and Josh and Jerry, I'm a research technician in a neuroscience uh, science lab studying sleep and circadian rhythms with zebrafish. I first discovered your scintillating podcast several months ago, and they had quickly become part of my daily routine. Each morning when I come in to feed the fish, I turn up the speakers blasting the show, and there are suddenly over 10,000 fans listening to your podcast in a 15-by-15-foot room. They eagerly swim to the left sides of their tanks, the position of the speakers, as soon as the podcast begins. So these zebrafish are reacting yeah, to the dulcet tones of... Us. (laughs) Us. <laughs> I consider myself a parent to these fish and uh, that I feed them, clean their tanks, and educate them through your podcast. One of the first errors I made as a parent was to make a false promise to these fish that if they continue to work hard in our experiments, which is administering cocaine to sleep-deprived fish. That's what he's studying. Wow. Uh, Chuck and Josh would acknowledge their hard work on the podcast. Please help me out. Don't let down my fish for a false promise I made long ago. Godspeed. Keep your ear to the grindstone, Alex. I wonder if that tiny room that they keep them in is a bathroom. I don't know. <laughs> I don't wonder if Alex is really a scientist. Yeah, right. He's just um, into getting fish high. Well, we'll see. Well, thank you, Alex. Thank you to our 10,000 zebrafish fans. So hello, fish. You guys get some sleep, okay? They can't. They're dying to. <laughs> or they're just dying. Uh, if you are conducting some sort of odd experiments, we want to hear about it. Wrap it up in an email, will you? Spank it on the buttocks and send it to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. 
For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?